About this film, Hollywood reporter's Dwayne Burge says, Call something a real train wreck and it's considered a put-down. Not in this fast-track, no-stops chase movie with a massive train wreck scene that's going to have audiences scrambling for cover. Anthony Lane of The New Yorker says, It's a pleasure to find a thriller fulfilling its duties with such gusto. The emotions ring solid, the script finds time to relax into back chat, and for once the stunts look like acts of desperation rather than shows of prowess. And Letterboxd user Camp Bart calls it peak jeans plus dress shirt plus tie plus sweater vest slash tweed jacket cinema. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the fugitive. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. It's Ruined Childhoods, your favorite <laughs> podcast that talks about sequels, prequels, reboots, remakes, none of which actually exist outside of our minds. Right. But on today's episode, we're talking about The Fugitive, which is <laughs> a, an adaptation from a, a television series. So uh, this is kind of an interesting one in and of itself because it is not a, its own original story. But nobody seemed to care at the time. No, well, no, I mean, no, I mean, every now and again, one of these movies works out. And The Fugitive, having been adapted from a 1960s television television series, uh, you know, very popular and successful one at that. This also this movie also comes out in 1993 when we have yet to be entirely inundated with just nostalgia um, and fan service. So this was this was at a time when it was still, uh, you know, kind of like rare and it was news that something was being remade or adapted into a film so different times these were john how are you yeah i'm doing all right you know i happened to watch a movie the other night that uh has come up in discussion on this podcast a long time ago and i watched it over zoom with our brother scott and some of our uh friends some hometown homies and uh who get together every Friday over Zoom to just kind of like hang out and put on a movie together. They just kind of press play at the same time. And it's a it's a audio mess because you can hear everybody's TV going. But uh, we watched the 1979 Great Train Robbery. Uh, oh. This one with Donald <laughs> Sutherland and, and yeah. uh, Sean Connery. And yeah. uh, I have to say it was a in some ways a delight. It certainly was uh you know, tricky to watch. It was, it was very slow, but the actual, there were some moments where it was like, oh, this is actually pretty gripping action, you know, d- during this actual like train robbery that's happening at the end. And, you know, you see Sean Connery on on the top of train cars and you really feel, because it really takes its time, it's like it almost plays out like in real time. 
mm-hmm. you know, we've become so used to, you know, I mean, Sean Connery, uh, you know, certainly evokes James Bond and modern day James Bond, you know, he no problem like, you know, fighting on a on the top of a train car and, and all that kind of stuff. But like this character that Sean Connery plays is very much the way that I feel like it would be if you were having to navigate crawling on top of a train car that's moving very fast uh, when you don't have like James Bond levels of uh, skill when it comes to uh, acrobatics, parkour, <laughs> things like that. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, not yeah. It's one of the things I really like about action films from uh i guess pre 90s is that the the tangibility of those of action movies and even the more fantastical uh, action movies there's they're they're very much rooted in reality the things that they do are very much human whereas i feel like a lot of the action films that we've that we see now from the more recent james bond movies to um things like Fast and Furious uh, that feature humans, not, you know, can't bring like, you know, Marvel into this, but feature humans doing uh, superhuman things pretty regularly. And uh, it, it's it's something that actually we'll, we'll, we'll come back to uh, as we talk more about The Fugitive is just that sense of of realism and believability in action films. Yeah. Um, hold on one second. I need to re- uh, move a pair of shoes that I could just hear Rufio chewing on a second ago. Hold on one move second. Move those shoes. It's not cool, my friend. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that shortly because you're talking about movies from uh, after the 90s, kind of losing that sense of realism. But the Fugitive in 1993, I uh, really feel like it's, I, I don't know, I was just telling somebody earlier today that it's kind of a near perfect movie. Mm. I I feel it, like, you know, yeah. there's yes. it has kind of everything for me that and I would want there... from a, from like a thrilling, you know, uh, I don't know, kind of, it's like an adventure movie. I don't know if I'm going to call it an action movie. It but has just a, th- a lot of the elements of an action movie, but it's, you know. Well, there's, why don't we, like, why don't we get to news? I, um, oh, you've oh, got some what, news? I, I saw some news. There was some casting news that I saw earlier today in regards to the remake of uh, White Men Can't Jump. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Yes, uh, it looks like I, I cannot remember the person's I, name who well, was cast. But. Nor should you remember the whole person's name because this is that person's very first audition. And they got the uh the Woody Harrelson role of uh for the White Men Can't Jump remake. So uh whoever whoever that person is, and Dan, I can see that you're doing some some Googling. So Oh, Jack Harlow, that's his Jack name. Jack Harlow. I read somewhere that it was his first audition, like, ever. And to get the lead role in a movie like that, that's pretty incredible. So, we'll see. Pretty, uh, you know, pretty big shoes to fill. Pretty big sneakers. Big Absolutely. 
yeah to fill there so yeah no that was that was my my news did you have any news no i didn't i've no. had quite a busy week uh yeah you know for anybody who's uh listened in the past few weeks you might have heard me talk about this but i recently have come on board of the northwest film center uh actually by the time this is released uh we're going to have a brand new name so I'm just going to say it on here because this won't be released until oh. after that <laughs> happens. So nice. I feel okay saying it. But uh, the Northwest Film Center is now... So in Portland, Oregon, we have the Northwest Film Center, which has been connected to the Portland Art Museum. It's been around for fifty year, over 50 years now. And it's a it's been a really cool hub for screening films, uh, filmmaking services, Uh, We've rented out equipment for many years and do classes for both kids and adults. And we're taking things into a very different direction, kind of bringing forward the idea that cinematic experiences don't necessarily have to just be the one thing that we think of. It could be, you know, now we have podcasts and we have VR and AR and XR, and there's all sorts of different ways that we can experience cinematic storytelling. So uh, from now on, the Northwest Film Center is going to be known um, as PAM, which is Portland Art Museum, PAM Cut. And Cut stands for the Center for an Untold Tomorrow. And uh, that's that's what we're going for. And I am the associate director of creative programs for, uh, for Pam cut. And it's, uh, it's really exciting. We've got a lot of really cool things going on. We just did some screenings this past weekend of some of our honorees for the cinema unbound awards, which, uh, we're recording this before that happens. This will come out after that happens. Uh, it's uh, March 8th and, uh, we are, celebrating some uh, voices who have been pushing forward the idea of cinematic storytelling. And uh, yesterday I was there for the screenings for uh, the Mitchells versus the machines, which is a Netflix movie. And we've been partnering with Netflix for a little while. And uh, they were very excited to have us screen this and, and to watch it on a big screen was pretty incredible. It's a really beautiful movie. Uh, I was definitely sobbing during it while watching it yesterday, even though I've seen it before. And we are celebrating uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were the producers on it. And for anybody who is unfamiliar with them, they directed the Lego movie and 21 and 22 Jump Street, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They did Clone High. They were involved with uh, The Last Man on Earth, the television series. They uh, also produced uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And they produced the Mitchells versus the Machines. And it was really exciting to watch that with an audience. And we also screened the Nowhere In because we are honoring Carrie Brownstein. And the Nowhere In uh, is a very fascinating movie. I believe it's streaming on Hulu right now, where it follows a fictionalized version of Carrie Brownstein, who is making a documentary about her friend Annie Clark, St. Vincent. And it's the story of them making this documentary and it's all about identity and kind of the ways that we represent ourselves versus the way that we really are and the pressure of, you know, kind of blurring that line sometimes for 
more compelling storytelling. So that's one that I'm thinking about a lot uh, after having seen it just for the first time yesterday, and I'm really trying to kind of decode it in my mind. So anyway, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but um, everybody should definitely check out uh, the Pam Cut website. It's going to be at pamcut.org, P-A-M-C-U-T. And we've got a lot of really cool things coming up with Cut. It's going to be really awesome. I'm really excited to be part of it. So anyway, I think that where this came from is because I've been so busy because it's been my first like full on week doing this new position. So I haven't had my eyes on the news uh, nearly as much as I typically do. So it's funny because it's like, it's also my job to kind of know about what's going on, <laughs> but I haven't been uh, looking out in the same way that I have been uh, for this show. So hopefully my schedule evens out a little bit where I am able to, you know, focus on both things at the same time. But yeah. Yeah. Well, can, no, congratulations. It sounds like a lot of exciting things are going on down totally. there at uh, the uh, newly na- uh, renamed Pam Cut. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Center for so an Untold Tomorrow. The Center for an Untold Tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. I guess tomorrow is always untold. And yeah. I want to form the center for a, for an already told yesterday. Mm, that's just living in the past, my friend. That's called facinghistory.org. Uh, okay. Great organization as well. Nothing <laughs> to do with film, really. But, so, uh, The Fugitive... Yeah. Yes. Do you remember the first time you saw The Fugitive? In fact, I do. Okay. And I am fairly certain that you were there. (laughs) Uh, I great. If if I remember correctly, and I think I do, this was a film that we saw at, at. We've talked about this before. This mythical. Movie theater somewhere in oh. I want to say the Carolinas, yeah. I think North Carolina, and it was a movie theater that was part of a mall that was connected to the hotel where we stayed uh, on a couple of occasions, driving uh, to and and from uh, between New Jersey and Georgia, uh, little summer summer vacation there in Sea Island. Georgia, which we talked about, I think, most recently on the Point Break episode. <laughs> um, but this was the theater. This was not a theater in Georgia. This was this multiplex uh, in in this mall. And I'm fairly certain, fairly certain that we actually stayed at, at it. We actually stayed there on the way down to Georgia and on the way back up. Okay. Because I... Because I remember seeing two movies from the summer of 1993 in that theater. The Fugitive is the one that I'm not 100% certain on, but I'm I'm close that we saw it there. The other film that we saw uh, on that trip would have been Hearts and Souls. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So then I remember what we would have seen the year prior. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, should I mention it or say no? Because I hope that we do an episode on it sometime. Oh, I'm sure we will. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. So, but, oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. Okay. I'm pretty sure we saw it. We saw it there, and I don't remember. I, I mean, I think this was like the whole family went to like saw the movie. I don't think this was just one where like I, I went with dad or something. <laughs> 
Yeah. So if uh, let's see, if if anybody listening was vacationing uh, during the summer of 1993 in Sea Island, Georgia, and there was a 10 year old child yelling, I didn't kill my wife. That would have been me. And an 11 and a half year old yelling back, I don't care. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Scott. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And then, and uh, then I uh, dive into the pool. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be a really fun feet. thing to do on the top of a diving board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do some, what, fugitive cosplay? Yeah. Just one person's by like the top of the ladder saying, like, you know, and then the other person's kind of over there just saying, like, I didn't kill my wife. And the person, yeah, that's, that's great. It's yeah, that's great. The fugitive that, that... LARPing. <laughs> uh, which uh, there's got to be some community out there that that does that, like the yearly, like the yearly, you know, U.S. Marshal fugitive hunt where we, you know, retrace the steps of Sam Gerard and his team. Oh, boy. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's go to let's go to Chicago and just like act out the whole thing. Oh, well, this would be the time to do it. Yeah. That's true. Next week. Because this is an episode. So this is, uh, we're doing this, at, if you can see, we're releasing this in March of 2022. We're doing an episode, I'm sorry, we're doing a series of episodes uh, that all have vaguely March themes. And we know that this movie takes place in Mar- mostly in March because there is a scene that happens during a St. Patrick's Day parade. So The majority of, a- of the action in this film uh everything except for the beginning i guess well yeah the the flashbacks well the flashbacks the fundraiser dinner at the beginning the that's a flashback well but the movie starts out with being at the fundraiser i i'm fairly certain it actually it's it's a it's still flashback but how can it be flashback if we're not starting in whatever March would have been, whatever year? Well, I guess would... it's it's kind of all a montage over the opening credits, isn't it? Well, and over then the they opening, start the... over the opening credits. It's kind of going between them being at the fundraiser and then what happens after the. Fu- I'm going to do a synopsis. Right, it's a back and forth. There's a back and yeah. forth. Anyway, but it doesn't start off in any other timeline. It starts off there. So I'm going to do a little synopsis. After a glamorous evening at a fancy fundraiser, Chicago-based cardiovascular surgeon Dr. Richard Kimball is called into a last-minute surgical procedure while his wife Helen heads home on her own. Before Kimball gets back, Helen is murdered by a man with a prosthetic arm, which Richard discovers as he's fighting with the home intruder. But once the cops start questioning Kimball, it becomes clear that he's the primary suspect. And as it turns out, the court feels the same way. On his bus ride to prison, some of the other felons decide that it's in their best interest to escape, but things end up going haywire, forcing the bus to crash and end up directly on active train tracks. In an effort to help one of the prisoner transporters, Richard carries him to safety and leaps off the bus just as it's about to be destroyed by a train. As one of the two surviving prisoners, Richard takes off with the mission to stitch up an abdominal an abdominal wound and hide out. But after a nightmare about Helen's death, he decides that the only move he can make is to prove his innocence by tracking down the one-armed man and uncover who was really behind his wife's murder. Meanwhile, 
U.S. Marshal Samuel Gerard and his team are on the hunt for Kimball and do a pretty good job at it for a while, but Kimball mostly stays a step or two ahead of Gerard. But even with the marshals on their tail, sorry, but even with the marshals on his tail, Dr. Kimball manages to find the one-armed man and leaves clues for Gerard to piece together the connection himself, thereby opening up the opportunity for him to expose the real murderer and clear his name. And I just want to say, go back a little bit because I said that uh, before Kimball gets back, Helen is murdered by a man with a prosthetic arm. She's murdered by a man who has a prosthetic arm, but she is murdered by a knife. Uh, I'm trying to remember how, what exactly he uses to kill her. I, Bludgeoning her? I don't. I think he bludgeons her. Fair I'm pretty sure he, he doesn't he murder bludgeons. her with the arm. I just realized that my wording could have been confusing. It, it's it, he does not no. use it as a weapon. Yeah, a man who happens to have a a murderer who happens to yeah. also have a prosthetic limb murders yeah. Kimball's wife. The fact that he he uh, has a prosthetic arm really just kind of plays into the plot of that. You know, it's something for for Kimball to chase him down. If he right. didn't have the prosthetic arm, I don't know that we'd be talking about. It. I don't know that this no. story would have he would have had anything to go on there. No, not at all. Yeah. So uh, Harrison Ford does an amazing job as Doctor Richard Kimball. This is during the era I feel where Harrison Ford is doing his like best acting. I was going to say, is this peak Harrison Ford? I'd say, well, I mean, you know, like Raiders and Star Wars are kind of in their own little category. Uh, but this is where he's doing his best, like, acting. Yes, yes. Agreed. Yeah, Raiders and Star Wars. Are, I mean, Raiders and Star Wars were what really put him on the map. Yeah. And... But then I think you I think you do have to go kind of go back to, like, like Witness. Witness is excellent. Yeah, he's very to good get, in Witness. Like witness or the Mosquito Coast to get mm -hmm. like this like level of performance that's not just Harris. I mean, like he did. There were a lot of other. So this is following up. All right. So this is following up uh, Patriot Games, which comes out the year before, um, which shows Harrison Ford in that in that realm of the you know the the guy who's determined to you know, get things figured out. Um, a few years before that, there's Frantic, which I've actually oh, never yeah. seen. And I don't know if, I, if, if, if I'm if i going to uh, check it out. I don't know if it's going to make my Roman Polanski exceptions list. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Which, yeah, no, that's uh, Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby are pretty much my, like... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I would well, go back to Frank okay. for that, but we do presumed to, innocent. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, Blade Runner because that's mm -hmm. probably the earliest one because that was 82. And that's, you know, after he does uh, Star Wars and that's uh, a year after Raiders. So Blade Runner, I feel like, is the the beginning of like him being serious actor. Uh, 85 is Witness. And, you know, then we start to see uh, a different side of him with Working Girl in 88. But then, mm. you know, 91, we get Regarding Henry, which is right. one that, uh, you know, it might not be everybody's favorite. But for me, it is a uh, it's one that I go back to. I really like it. For Harrison Ford, it's probably like I'm, I'm trying to think of other Harrison Ford roles. And 
I feel like it's kind of the it's maybe the biggest stretch. It's it's one yeah. where he's not like not that all of his roles are are, are the same. Yeah, but you know he's he's in a very different. He's in very different circumstances yeah. in regarding Henry, and it gives him an opportunity to flex and show some versatility. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and then so then we've got uh, you know Patriot Games, then The Fugitive, and then Clear and Present Danger. I'm sk- obviously skipping some, um, and then uh, you know we've got another fun one with Sabrina, but then he does Air Force One, which of course, hello, who doesn't love mm. him in Air Force One? And then he kind of starts to like dip back down and then kind of disappears a little bit. Uh, I feel like six days, seven nights was kind of the beginning of the end. I think that was the year after Air Force One. It was. And it feels like it was way, you know, further between. There was more time between those, but, you know, whatever. No, Um, it was like Air Force Force One and then... Yeah, it was a lot of like I remember he did this one like Random Hearts with Kristen Scott Thomas that uh-huh. was kind of bleh. Right. Hollywood Homicide with Josh Hartnett right. which was bleh. Mm-hmm. and you know a few others uh, a few other things that, that yeah he and then did. we're getting into you know Old Harrison Ford you know he did Cowboys and Aliens which I think is fun and you know is a, is a good platform for him um, but then you know you've got things getting back into crystal skull i think which was before cowboys and aliens but then there's yeah. you know that and then he starts going back into his franchises a little bit more with you know the star wars movies and you know he's blade doing runner. another indiana jones movie now and blade runner 2049 so um i th- i feel like uh, re-regarding henry re-regarding henry we'll talk about that on the regarding henry episode when we do it so I uh, I feel like The Fugitive is like, I'd say, definitely peak Harrison Ford. Um, it, it shows him at his best acting. And you do get some action in there. But mostly it's the, the moments where he's giving dialogue and feeling passionate about things. Like the ending of this movie when he's, uh, you know, approaching... The person who is behind everything. You switched out the samples. I know. You switched the samples. And, um, oh, I did want to talk about the cast real quick because. Oh, yeah. I I feel like that'll help a lot. So, uh, Sam Gerard, Tommy Lee Jones, who's, uh, so good in this. He won the Academy Award for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Freaking, like, beat. Ray Fiennes from Schindler's List. I, I mean, among other performances that were nominated that year, but I was like, how do you, like, Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List? Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, this was before we knew Ray, Ray Fiennes to be the uh, comedic genius that that he is. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but yeah, but Tommy Lee, jo- Tommy Lee Jones had also been around for a while. Totally. And this was really... This like he did JFK. He had been around. He'd been in high profile movies, uh, but not like never really broke out, even though like he had these starring roles, uh, never was not like, you know, an, a household name. And right. then he d- he did JFK, got the Oscar nomination for that. And then this 
I mean, you watch the beginning of this movie, the opening credits, and it's like it, it it's the way that they show the stars' names, it's like straight yeah. out of the trailer where it's like the the like Jones yeah. like, and the letters are flipping around. And it really it, it really sets this movie up as being this like star vehicle for these two actors yeah. who are kind of both like hitting their um like Tommy peak Tommy Lee Jones, I mean, maybe, but yeah, well, I mean, this is what kind of launched him off to be able to do things like Men in Black, and uh, you know, it really just like kick boosted his career big time. I mean, and he was interesting because I was thinking about uh, you, you know, my love for like kind of the studio system of Days Gone right. By, and yeah. the you know that the actors. And and Tommy Lee Jones from ninety to ninety five, I feel like there's one movie on his filmography that's not Warner Brothers. Oh, interesting. Uh, that would be blown away. Okay. Uh, but he did. He he's got uh, JFK, The Fugitive, The Client, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, was uh, uh, Batman under, Forever? What year was Under Siege? Was that? Under Siege, oh, yep, 92. 92. Also, was that Warner Brothers? Warner. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, so he's, good in Under Siege. He, I mean, he fucking elevates Under Siege. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, and it wasn't until I was watching, uh, uh, you know, U.S. Marshals, uh, the, the sequel to The Fugitive, which I don't think was really, you know, promoted that way. It's like a spinoff. Yeah, it's it it's it's a sequel, you know. It's kind a of? it's a sequel that follows because I yeah. mean the fugitive. The, so the fugitive is really structured where it's telling these two stories. Tommy Lee Jones and yeah. Harrison Ford are barely on screen together, right? And it's and Tommy Lee Jones is also while he might be like the nemesis here, he's not. He's the not villain. No, he's like he's the he's, he's the pursuing. Obstacle. Yeah. He's the op- he's the antagonist. Yeah. He's trying to st- he's trying to find Kimball's trying to Kimball's motivation is to uh put the puzzle together uh about his wife's murder and solve the crime and exonerate himself. And Jones and uh, as as Sam Gerard, his goal is to stop him, is to catch Richard Kimball. Yeah. So that's and it's like that's one of the brilliant things about that line about that that exchange. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Right. Is it's so like I feel and this is where the script really gets a lot of credit for this movie mm-hmm. in that it 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 doesn't have there's not like some some witty retort or not some just like some like bullshit. You're a murderer and I'm bringing you right. in. Which I feel like is what that would be like the go to, but the I don't care he's, is really he's just a guy doing his job. This is his job. Yeah. He's a U.S. marshal. He catches escaped convicts. Yeah, that it is not his job to d- decide or determine their innocence or guilt. And in fact, when he starts kind of focusing on that aspect yeah. of it, when he starts when because Kimball is brilliantly like leading him along. Right. No, and... it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's so it's just one of the some one of the many wonderful things about it. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to kind of 
breeze through the cast list ah, just really yes. quick because there's just a few standouts that I wanted to mention. You know, we have Joe Pantoliano, who's one of the U.S. Marshals. Um, we have, and I don't know if I'm going to say his name right, but uh, Yaron Crab. Yaron Crabbe. Yaron Crabbe, uh, who's a Dutch actor who I also, uh, I, I really put him, I mean, he's been in so much, but like for me, it's this character and his character in The Prince of Tides. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where you're I, just yeah, exactly. like, you're just I know like seen... this guy is just like really gets under my skin. Ugh. Such a smug douchebag. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's one. He's he's fantastic in this. And I also wanted to um, uh, let me just see. And then of course we have Julianne Moore in this movie in a small role. We have Jane Lynch in a small role. Uh, Jane Lynch is fantastic, by the way. But to, coming oh, yeah. back to Julianne Moore. Sure. How does Julianne Moore have third billing in this movie? Does she, she really? She is the first name after the credits. She is billed before Joey Pants. And That's, that, I mean, that must have been a like a contractual thing. Um, but she wasn't like, Shortcuts, I think, was like the only other thing that she had done here. I And I actually kind of, I, I kept track of like when she came when when she appears on screen yeah. and it is she's basically got like a couple of minutes of screen time yeah so uh before this she was in the hand that rocks the cradle the gun in betty lou's handbag body of evidence and benny and june that's it shortcuts oh, was what, after but, this oh shortcuts was after this okay she uh, had a, shortcuts mean, she had a, well let's see when did shortcuts come out like that's same same year same it's, year it, it's same year. That was October. But, so this, I mean, clearly if we saw it during during that summer, then Shortcuts came out after. Yeah, no, this was like July or August mm -hmm. in 93 that it came out. I, I thought August. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the uh, the writing in the movie, and that that's credited to Jeb Stewart. And Jeb Stewart, you know, doesn't have a ton of credits to his name, but a significant one is Die Hard. And so... It makes a lot of sense when you think about it, where it's just like, okay, that one is more of an action movie, yes, but it's also a an extremely well crafted film. You know, mm. they're like the pieces all come together in a really fascinating way. And in this one, the same he does the same thing. And I I really appreciate the way that he structures the uh the Sam Gerard character as being somebody who you are, are kind of you're not like rooting for him because you don't want him to catch Kimball, but you're also not wanting him to fail because you because you know that he's not the bad guy. It, you know, it's just like you want uh, him to you want him to believe Kimball. Yeah. You want I mean I think what ultimately I think what you want which is which, which I mean is what happens yeah. but like you want him to help Kimball because you know he's good. I mean Well, yeah, I mean every you know throughout the film you see Kimball doing these like random kind gestures that remind people or, or like give some indications that he's not a bad person. Like you know he helps out this kid when he's posing as a janitor. Uh, he gives a suggestion because he sees the guy that gets injured, uh, the like prison, the the prisoner, mm -hmm. I don't know, transportation guy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, he tells them when they're wheeling him in that, you know, what's wrong with him to better 
treat him. And it's like, though doing those things are exposing him more and more, but he can't help but be a good doctor. Yeah, I mean, the Hippocratic Oath. There you go. You know, yeah. if someone's if someone is in in need of of help, you you help them. Yeah, but so. it's just like he's a truly good person, and yeah. you know who got put in the middle of this really terrible situation, and I don't know. Uh, yes, what's up? Oh no, I'm sorry. I wanted I was gonna uh, I wanted to throw in so uh, on top of on top of everything else else uh, his <laughs> that was not a Freudian elf slip. Yeah. Uh, on top of everything else, his wife, uh, who's played by Celia Ward, right. by the way, yes. uh, who's who's just fantastic. She is. Uh, she's from a wealthy family she's you know independently right. wealthy and that's and so the cops who really just kind of want to like close the case they're not sure. too and and honestly all of the all of the evidence points to points to to Kimball right. yeah. but when they find out that oh like oh she's worth a lot and he stands to inherit a lot it it all of the signs and the courtroom scene really shows this well all of the evidence points to Kimball and it's and it's just that there's this missing context that is really impossible to show a jury that, you know, like they play the 911 tape right. and 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 she's like, you know, gasping for air and saying, like, he's trying to kill me. He's trying, he's still in the house. He's still yeah. in the house. Richard, Richard. He's and <laughs> it's like because she hears Richard coming into the house and then he fights with the one-armed man. Right. Frederick Sykes. Yes. Uh, played by Andreas Katsoulis. Am I yeah. saying that right? I think so. Okay. He's very he's very good. I like I like his voice. He's he's so like he's very believably salt of the earth. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, they said a one-armed man did it. I yeah. have a prosthetic arm. Of course, they we went through this all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, going back to what you were saying, though, about all of the evidence pointing to him, it's when, uh, and everything about the, the wife, Helen, being wealthy and him standing to gain a lot, it's when, uh, you know, Sam Gerard is talking to the U.S. Marshals and they're just like, Oh, it looks like he's, you know, his wife was wealthy and and he's like, yeah, but he's a doctor. Like he's a very successful doctor. Like he doesn't need an inheritance. He's one of the top heart surgeons in Chicago. Yeah. We, like he's not worrying about. Right. Yeah, it it it's a good point, but it's also the type of thing where if you're looking to solve a it, it, the great thing is and it, like as obnoxious as the, as the the cops are, especially the two uh uh, the two main cops, there's Detective Rossetti, who I feel like yeah. it was the, like, we need someone to play a Chicago cop. Get this guy. Yeah, it's like Dennis Franz is unavailable. <laughs> As is, uh, Get the oh, who's the, who's the actor who plays his brother in uh, in Die Hard 2? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I can picture his face. I can't remember his name. Like, was Ernie Sabella? Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's like, like he's find not the available. closest person to... To Dennis Franz and, and we're good. So yeah. uh, anyway, but, and then these the other guy is like, and these guys are also they're like they're Andrew Davis regulars. We talked about them, uh, yeah, with Under Siege because they're also right. in Under Siege. Yes. Uh, so, it, but they're what I like is that you don't you don't necessarily begrudge them 
I mean, you know that Kimball is innocent or you believe as the audience that Kimball is, is innocent and right. you don't, you don't, you don't question that. And the fact that the cops are questioning that it's upsetting to you as an audience member. But when you step back and you look at why it, his prints are all over the crime scene, right? They don't have any other prints. They don't, they, they have no real evidence of anybody else being there. But, and then also there's kind of like, there's, it's that those flaws in law enforcement when you're dealing with cops who are, you know, uh, investigators who are working long hours. And it's like, well, if all the evidence is pointing to this person and there's additional circumstantial evidence that's also pointing to this person, then it must be this person. Yeah. And I think that one other thing that I like about this movie is that I, and this is, you know, my 2022 mind after, you know, seeing so much about the problems with law enforcement. And you're right, you know, there's there's quotas and there's, you know, they don't have the time to, you know, really get down to the bottom of things if there's enough evidence pointing in one direction. So for them, it's very convenient that there is that inheritance and that, you know, there's the fingerprints and there's the 911 call. So case closed, case closed. Yeah. It's, and, and that is, you know, not being hidden that it's like, there's a problem with the, you know, um, with law enforcement in, in this movie. So, yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, it, it moves, it moves so well. It, is it takes its time just and kind of coming back to the whole like this is a near perfect movie right maybe you could even get rid of the the near because i think that in terms of like what it's trying to do mm-hmm. its goals as a piece of entertainment it i think it maybe it even exceeds those goals like i remember when this movie came out and it was like oh okay all right oh so it's harrison ford and they're they're doing a big screen version of the fugitive okay well this should be fun yeah. And I think people expected something on the level of like Patriot Games, which was an entertaining popcorn thriller, which this is. But sure. this but this is I mean, there's a reason why this was nominated for Best Picture. This is also the reason why I don't think there need to be more than five Best Picture nominees. <laughs> because the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences have been more than capable in the past of recognizing films that are like mainstream pop culture films that are the that that are kind of the best examples of those genres sure yeah and of those kinds this movie is i i mean yes it's exciting the score is the score is great the cinematography is great the action is i mean maybe save for the part where like he jumps and down like out of the tunnel where Harrison Ford jumps out of the tunnel mm-hmm. and, and plummets that distance and then just kind of like, you know, well, comes you out. know, he's always seeming like worn and tired. And but... this is where I want to get to what you had mentioned at the very beginning, which was about, you know, the movies seeming more realistic before the 90s, you know, the portrayals of the hardships. And I was no what one thing that I was noticing when watching this is that they make more of an effort than most movies to show how trying a lot of these things are. And 
I was thinking about that mostly at the end because there's this scene where, and this is a real spoiler alert moment. And it's been almost 30 years. It's fine. So basically what happens is Nichols is the bad guy, the the friend, the the other um uh, I'm, Richard. I'm also, yeah. <laughs> guy from Pins of Tides. And uh basically what happens is in order to push forward the uh, uh the use of a drug called Provasic with a pharmaceutical company called Devlin McGregor. I love all of those, by the way. Perfect Amazing. perfect name for a yes. drug, perfect pharmaceutical company name. Devlin McGregor. I love it. And so he had falsified the samples, the the tissue samples that Kimball had provided to him. He switched them out with ones from a healthy liver a, in order to get this drug pushed, pushed through. And so he approaches uh, Nichols at this banquet, this conference, and they're in the, in the like Chicago Hilton and they go up to the roof and they're fighting like real, like fist fighting. And what I love about it is that they're throwing like heavy punches but it's just like tiring for both of them, clearly. And then they're they middle. F- yeah, they're they're old. fighting. They're fighting like they're actually like middle aged doctors who are having yeah. a fight. Though, man, Nichols at the start of their fight like tosses him. Yeah, like well, like, we know damn. that he we know that he is physically fit. He has he goes to the tennis club regularly. You know, he puts an in effort into his fitness. So well, yeah, yeah, that's that's yes. established at least. Though just because you go to the tennis club no, doesn't mean you're but also tennis. and then and then you know we get a we get a, a good look at uh, Kimball's body when he's like stitching his wounds up, which is a badass scene to begin with. And you know it's like okay, he takes care of himself. All right, yeah. and uh, yeah. so it makes sense given their like ages and everything that you know where but they, they also are. But, but they also still look like normal guys. It's they not do. like like we we don't have like Dwayne Johnson up no, there. No, absolutely not. And so when they crash through this like skylight and end up on top of an elevator. Well, Kimball ends up on top of the elevator and Nichols beneath and Kimball's like knocked out. And then yeah. when he eventually gets out of the elevator, you can see him struggling. You can see him like you can tell that he's being moved. He's being driven by his like will to stop this man and nothing else. Like his body does not want him to do it, but he is making it happen. But that's and that's what Harrison Ford is so good at. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit on Air Force One. Yeah. Where what Harrison Ford is so good at is letting you see how his mind is working and how he's making it is like the, the, there's the part in this, he like kicks in, uh, there's like boards over, uh, you know, he gets to, um, I'm trying to uh, find in my notes house? where this is. Yeah. I think it's Sykes he house where he, where he breaks in and you see him kind of like, see, like, like recognize like, Oh, okay. Huh. There's boards over the door. All right, I'm just gonna kick them in, yeah. and it's it's like a second, but you see that look on his face where he makes the decision to do it, and it's not just he's not just running on instinct; like he's actually processing and thinking, "What do I need to do?" And you're right; he's so driven by his purpose. Yeah. Another great. I mean, this is another like Harrison Ford trait, something that he just. Uh, conveys so well is that 
that sense of being driven by by purpose. Yeah. I mean, and especially like you said, dragging himself at by yeah. that point in the film. Um, it's it's so you see it when he jumps off the train or when he right. jumps off the bus when the train yeah. is coming and he's like standing there. And he's like, what do I do? Okay, he's, I jump. Yeah, he's not a graceful person when it comes to jumping off of a bus, you know, because he's no, never no, no. done it before. No, he's he's you know like an actual person, yeah. like a real person. I also want to call out another moment that I feel like comes across as being very real, where he's at the hospital after, you know, starting to be on the run and, you know, where he goes to stitch himself up and he's in the uh, the room of some guy who's like, not in a coma because he clearly can, but like he's like sleeping and hooked up to all this stuff. And he takes his food that's delivered to him, which is like scrambled eggs and toast and stuff. And the way that he kind of piles on with his fingers, the eggs onto the bread to like make the sandwich. And then he like kind of licks his fingers where it's just like, yeah, that's right. This guy's been like walking through, you know, the a river bank for like overnight. And, you know, he's got to be so tired and hungry that like, you know, he the the other time that we've seen him, you know, he's been like at a banquet where he's like doing fancy things. And then here he is desperately just trying to like pile this scrambled eggs onto this piece of bread. And this is after he has leapt from the yeah. the tunnel <laughs> yeah. off the dam. It's amazing. Like he is like he has been through it already. Yeah, uh, he's just beginning. This- he He's does, only just become he, a fugitive. He does, if I may, uh, in this film, tend to have some pretty uh, uh, good fortune come his way. For instance, uh, just when he is really needing a disguise, he notices a trucker take off his coveralls and yeah. leave them in the front seat of his truck, not locking the door. So Kimball can just go and grab the coveralls and yeah. put them on. And then... Uh oh! What luck! There's a hospital right there nearby, yeah. and yeah, no, no. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm totally up this movie's ass, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta, gotta then, point out, gotta point out what? Oh, you know, just a couple of, just a couple of, of uh, j- you know, the the couple of spots that are like, hmm. Well, you know, what are you gonna do? Oh, so no. I, I, you know, and we have to. I give, of course, a shout out because it's why we're talking about this movie to the scene where he blends into the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, You know, that's how we know when things are. Let's see. He probably um, I'm trying to think of the timeline of like when he becomes a fugitive, because let's see, the Ides of March would have been just before the parade. So I guess at that point Hmm. he was probably uh, staying in that basement of the polish family and yeah i don't know but anyway so saint patrick's day he's uh he's in the parade and uh blending in and he just manages to like take off his jacket so they can't recognize him by that and i love the way that tommy lee jones like jumps up to see over the crowd and this is where i want to get into a conversation about u.s marshals dan because i've only watched the first like half hour or so of u.s marshals so i couldn't give 
a full synopsis on it. But basically, it's a situation where Wesley Snipes' character is a... Uh, he drives a tow truck and, uh, you know, careens into, you know, some guy uh, loses track of his car and almost crashes mm-hmm. into him. And then that forces him to kind of crash and hit, like knock into a bunch of cars and stuff. And because they find a gun in his car, they arrest him. And uh, yeah, so he is, you know, sent to prison for no real reason and uh, somebody on his flight to a, a prison starts some shit, plane crashes, we have a fugitive, Sam Gerard is there to go find him. So that's kind of yeah. like as far as I got. I don't know what more there really is, but um, Robert Downey Jr. is there to be with the U.S. Marshals. He comes in as a like a, um, a consultant Something or like uh, that. yeah. Yeah, I do remember like I I I did not get a chance to review it this week. I have seen it before and I remember like what the big like what the twist. I remember something to do with like the twist. Okay. There's definitely a twist. And I don't need to go into any further detail. Right. So US Marshals it's yeah, it's the unaf- it's the sequel but also spin-off. And let's see. It was directed by uh Stuart Baird, who did not do The Fugitive. Uh Stuart Baird, let's see. He did executive he did... decision. What's that? He did executive decision. Mhm. Uh I Good mean movie. definitely no schlub was also an editor. Um but as far as directing, it's really just it's just executive decision, U.S. Marshals, and Star Trek Nemesis, but also edited things like Skyfall and uh, Salt and Demolition Man, uh, Die Hard Two, m- Lethal Weapon Two. Much, so, much more accomplished editor. Absolutely, than Tango and director. Cash. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and this one, I mean, different writing team altogether. And yeah, you know, it's like you have the same U.S. Marshal crew plus Robert Downey Jr. It's Wesley Snipes this time. And uh, I don't know. But all I have to say is that at one point, you know, Tommy Lee Jones has his shirt off and it's like, damn, (laughs) Tommy Lee Jones. You wouldn't necessarily expect it, but that dude is physically fit in the in the uh, in the 90s. Well, but I guess I, I guess mean, we kind of get a glimpse of that also in um, in Under Siege, you know. But uh, U.S. Yeah. Marshal was 1998, so it's already you know five years after The Fugitive. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting that they made an attempt to to bring this movie uh, forward, uh, you know, bring The Fugitive uh, forward and focus on something else. And of course, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is the character that he you know won an Oscar for, and. It's like, what else can we do to capitalize on the success of that? And it's also the only character that you could that that really you'd say could have further like movie worthy uh, adventures. Uh huh. That I mean, like it's like yes, you could follow up on Richard Kimball, but like, what Just is being he a like, doctor? He's gonna remarry, and then his like another one armed man is gonna kill his new wife 
No. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it, it made sense to follow Gerard, and you have the ensemble there. You have like the the whole Joey the Pants, team yeah. of 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 the U.S. Marshals, uh, and yeah, you know, thrown in Robert Downey Jr., who I I heard this was this was before we had the re, fully rehabilitated Robert Downey Jr. No, yeah, this was peak cocaine. Yeah, I mean, amongst other things, possibly peak. I mean, unless there was, I mean, maybe peak. Unless there might have been a plateau for like a good fifteen. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah, but, pretty much. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he was apparently like just really un unreliable. Um, so I, 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 it doesn't seem like things necessarily gelled on U.S. Marshals the way that they did. Uh, the way that they did with the fugitive. Not that I know much about the production of the fugitive. Right. But it it definitely feels like a much more uh cohesive production. I I guess in just the way that the the product uh right. turned out. Yeah. Um so yeah, and a couple of other I I wanted to I wanted to kind of go into a little bit about the uh the series that okay. Uh, that it was based on just because it, I, I did, I had not seen the series yeah, and, me either. Uh, it's but not it was so popular. Streaming. Right. Uh, I, and I was, I was thinking about some ideas and one of the things I was wondering as I was watching the fugitive, I was like, man, this reminds me a lot about Les Miserables. Uh, the, you know, the character of Jean Valjean, who's a, a good person who, uh, committed a, uh, crime for those who don't know the story he steals a loaf of bread from a uh, uh, a bakery. Uh, this is during, this is the pre-French Revolution times. His sister and his sister's child are starving and sick and dying, and he steals a loaf of bread to feed them. He's captured. He's put in prison, and then he is. Um, I I don't think he's. Re- I don't think he's released. I feel like he escapes. I don't remember exactly how, but uh, Javert, who's this, like, who's basically the Gerard, and Gerard is named for Javert intentionally, as I discovered. Really? Uh, yes, because the the creator of the series um, was inspired by Les Miserables. So huh. I, I hadn't read this until I was just reading up on the series. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's why it makes sense. Because it was funny. I was just like thinking of like of like different castings because it's like this is such a like Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, like right. star vehicle. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe, oh, they miss. And oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, or you or um, Liam Neeson, Jeffrey Rush, if you want to go uh-huh. with the 1998 version of Les Miserables. Sure, uh, yeah. So, so um, interestingly, yeah, it is. It is uh, definitely based in part on on Les Miserables. Uh, so that uh, that's interesting. That kind of that adds a little uh, a little more like kind of speculation in what in what more you could you could do with it. And it's uh, I also thought it was I, I remember at the time, like the Harrison Ford having a beard in it was a big deal. Like <laughs> he hadn't had a beard. He hadn't had facial hair in his movies up until right. this point. That's true. And he rocks that beard. He sure does. Yeah. Um, other great sequences in this. 
the setup when he's staying in in the basement, he's staying in that little apartment mm-hmm. in the house of the uh, Eastern European mother and mm-hmm. son. And when the cops pull up and Kimball sees that the cops are there, first of all, this is brilliantly foreshadowed by the raid that the U.S. Marshals right. do on the home of the other... The other fugitive. The other fugitive who escapes with Kimball. So, which they also, which they also set up brilliantly as a tease because you think when they're, when, when they're on that raid, you think they're going for Kimball because I think by that point you've forgotten that there was another fugitive. Yeah, totally. And then, and then it's, and then, uh, it's not, and it's this great character piece where the, the fugitive has, uh, the, uh, one of the marshals, Newman, uh, you know, held, held hostage and, and, uh. Gerard basically like has a perfect shot and you know yeah. shoots the the convict. What I also love about that is you see how pissed Gerard is that he did not take him alive. Right. Yeah, he's disappointed. He's let down by himself and I I just want to kind of follow up on that. So basically what happens after that scene is the one more like rookie US marshal is kind of complaining and he was just like, you know, basically saying I wish you would have negotiated with him instead of shooting and like hurting hurt my like eardrum or whatever. And I'm gonna have permanent he, hearing damage. And he goes up to him and he like says like, okay, can you hear me? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't negotiate. And it was just like, I love the way he says that. And then Dan, I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning of U.S. Marshals, they are on a, um, a you know, a, a home raid to find somebody, and the guy who they're going to get just goes to like a baby crib, like where his baby is crying, and the same like rookie guy who's not so much of a rookie anymore, uh, even though he's standing in front of a baby. Because the guy won't turn around, he shoots him. And as it turns out, there was a shotgun in the crib. So uh, Tommy Lee Jones kind of goes up to him and he's just like, great work, like great instincts. And it's like mm-hmm. clear, it's just a nod to, you know, he has learned from what has happened in the past, you know, the things that you have to do to accomplish your mission. Yeah. And I want to point out another another moment. And it, it's like, I, we don't have any... Uh, sound uh in this episode but this was this would be like the one sound clip that i would want to add in is jane lynch when she's being interrogated by gerard Uh um about like you know if he came to you for help uh like you know what would you do if you if he came to you for help and and she was like if he came to me for help i would help him yeah but that's not his style yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't come to me it's yeah. not his style. It's <laughs> so great. And I think that was like her first film role. I, yeah, if not, I mean, then among the first. We don't have yeah. to fact check that. That's okay. No. But early Jane Lynch. Early Jane Lynch. So what I want to talk about now. So we talked about U.S. Marshals, how that was a follow up to this movie uh, following a completely different uh, situation. And, you know, we know that this that The Fugitive is adapted from a television series. Uh, One thing that we haven't talked about is the movie uh, Wrongfully Accused, which was the parody (laughs) of this. Uh, Was that Leslie Nielsen? It's probably Leslie Nielsen, right? It was Leslie Nielsen. I don't I. 
I saw that at the Cranford Theater. I okay, think it our was a hometown theater. Trip. I think it was a family movie trip. <laughs> so it's uh, Leslie Nielsen, Richard Crenna as Fergus Falls. Uh, we got Kelly LeBrock, Melinda McGraw. Um, and let me just read the like IMDb synopsis on here. Ryan Harrison, that's clever, is framed for of murder course. and must prove himself innocent by finding a mysterious one-eyed, one-armed, one-legged man after escaping from a bus accident on the way to jail. So direct parody, uh, a Pat Proft film. So, uh, and it also lampoons, based on the images I see, uh, Mission Impossible, and uh, I'm sure there's some other things in here that they... Because that was like a 1998 release, right? Or 99? It was 98. That's right. 98. Uh, I was thinking of of rewatching this one in preparation, but I just didn't have the time, unfortunately. And uh, Yeah. yeah, so wrongfully accused. So... Dan, tell oh, me. Well, oh, oh before we do, thing? Uh, oh, a brief, yeah, because this, of course, there's other iterations of The Fugitive. Uh, to mention briefly, a uh, 2000 uh, TV series reboot with That's Tim right. Daly, uh, which I and and uh, Michael T. Williamson, and I, I, I haven't uh, seen that. What I did watch was the most recent update of the fugitive oh. from 2020 uh a roku channel series of short episodes like eight minute episodes okay about a an an ex-con named mike farrow who he had been imprisoned be- uh vehicular i think it was like ve- like drunk driving killed his like brother and and sister-in-law okay uh and he and then there's a there's a subway bombing and he's like they see him on the surveillance videos that he's like getting get they're watching the surveillance it's funny because they're like look at that guy he's a guy with jeans and a black hoodie carrying a bag that's our suspect mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the most vague description right. ever uh somebody with something did something and that's our suspect yeah uh and he so this bombing happens and then they're reviewing the uh you, you know the 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 film so the uh i'm not quite sure what office this is maybe the counterterrorism unit which would be ironic because okay. it is being headed by Kiefer sutherland <laughs> oh okay Kiefer sutherland takes on the gerard role or the, that Got he's it. in that uh, you know, he's got rather than the big dog. He he he's like, can I get a coffee, sir? And the coffee, sir. And yeah, uh, it yeah, <laughs> it's it's okay. It's All right. not it's not great. I didn't I didn't watch a whole a whole lot of it. It's set in L.A. and yeah, I guess. And so then, like, he's the fugitive, and he's trying to prove himself right, and they can't find him, and uh. So, so okay. Yeah. So then so, all right. that. so then what would you do? It's such this is such a challenging one. It it's cuz it's really the question usually is what what would you do that hasn't been that hasn't already been done. Right? Mm-hmm. And I I so I think when I when I think about this for this I think like well um you like gender swap the roles uh you know 
it doesn't need to be two men. Uh-huh. Uh, so just kind of like opening up, maybe not necessarily quote unquote gender swapping, but like opening, opening it up um, to, to allow for that and thinking of like, all right, who are a couple of actors who like, this would be a great showcase for. So I don't know, maybe you have like a Viola Davis as Gerard. Uh-huh. Or I like I think I mentioned Kerry Washington in the last episode, but yeah. Kerry Washington again. Uh you know, I was thinking about different just like different pairings and, and how would you do this? And I, I don't necessarily know what you would do. Are you really gonna go back to the Richard Kimball story that's been done in two series and 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 a movie? Are you going to do something? I, I think the best way to go with it is using the series and to a lesser extent the film as a jumping off point and maybe finding something else. Maybe it's not a, maybe we don't have a a guy with a prosthetic arm, but like, what would be like, what would be the update of that? Like what would be the 2022, not that people don't have, prosthetic limbs anymore um that's actually you know that's been a constant for quite some time but like what could you well also because the fugitive has really become so associated with there being a one-armed man who yeah you know that's such a famous part of it so but i think as much as you can do to take away Things like that, things that you are automatically going to identify with the movie and the original series. So renaming the characters, I don't think going to the extent of like having it, you could have it set in L.A., that's fine. But like having it be like this whole terrorism thing, uh, like combining 24 with The Fugitive, I I don't think that worked out as well. Like I, I think it should still remain as a a story and it probably would work better as a series maybe not like a 22 episode season Uh series but like a 10 episode uh like a noah noah hawley i think would be would probably be my top choice to to do it yeah i mean when there's one great example of a you know a television adaptation of a like a perfectly classic movie like Noah Hawley's the one person who's really nailed it. Well, Noah Noah Hawley, or, or I mean, like maybe uh, like there's Jason uh, Katims or Katims uh, as as well. But I don't think this one. I think this is more of a Noah Hawley uh, deal here. So to do a type of uh, limited series, and I mean the casting options, trying to think of interesting people to play them, and so I'm like using Gerard and Kimball as the names, but right. you could you could sort of I was like Bill Hader as Kimball would be an interesting choice. Um, a Sam Jackson Gerard I know would be really easy, but it would also be very entertaining. I believe that um, he was actually considered for. A role in U.S. Marshals. Oh, just oh yes, I think I think for, I think the Wesley Snipes role probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I would love to see him as like in the Gerard role. Uh, I think it would be an awesome like if you really wanted to do like a thing where you take two big stars and put them in like 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 you know do the same credits idea. I'm like, have Denzel Washington and Will Smith ever been in anything together? Huh. And you could like I that would work 
either way. Yeah, sure. That would, in fact, I would, I think I would rather see Denzel Washington in the Kimball role because I, so. I feel like we've seen him in the yeah. Gerard role in yeah. other things. Uh, so, you know, like the aforementioned Viola Davis, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think would make a fine, uh, Kimball. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just running down different names. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, this is someone who would be good at this, but I feel okay. like the Jake Gyllenhaal way route would be a lot, would be like the most traditional route to go mm -hmm. in terms of, of of casting the role but i don't i don't see i mean i think you know of course you've got like the updated technology and social media and things like that that could actually play into the suspense of this and uh you know help build that that tension of like you know in this like he knows there are cameras when he goes to the to the prison when when kimball visits uh uh clive um clive, another one arm clive, man by the way, while we're talking about Clive Driscoll, the one thing I would want to see follow up on with Kimball is I want to see him go back and, and give a, an explanation to Clive Driscoll. Yeah. <laughs> like he gave like oh, this guy gets it's a, a misunderstanding. So sorry to have wasted your time. Yeah. And, and he's like, you're here. Like, let's talk. And yeah. like, yeah, I wish I could like he should go back and be like, look, here's the deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my idea. I don't really have a, I I don't I don't I don't have a concrete. That's fine. Plan for this one, John. What what do you say? What do you have? All right. So I'm not suggesting a parody because that has already been done. But what I am suggesting is a comedic version that exists in a world where the movie The Fugitive already exists. So. What I would propose is a movie with, and I know that this might seem like a little too obvious or maybe a little too like worn out, but with Seth Rogen in the Richard Kimball role, and just for lack of a better way of explaining it, and Danny McBride in the Gerard role, you know, a something where there is this U.S. Marshal who is trying to find this fugitive, somebody who is you know, I uh, wrongfully accused, <laughs> if you will, who is trying to uh, clear their name and who is using the movie The Fugitive as a framework for how they are going about proving their own innocence. And I feel like who who could do it better? Who could do it better than those guys? And you could have a lot of those other people like Bill Hader in there and Will Forte and Andy Samberg and all those other amazing people who kind of fit into that world. But mm -hmm. I mean, who's also a a better comedy version of Tommy Lee Jones than Danny McBride? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think of who would be a better comic comic version of uh, because of... he's such a good douchebag, and uh, but like he also has the capability of kind of. Um, proving himself worthy of your appreciation. I feel like I'd rather see him in the Nichols role. No, I wouldn't want him in the Nichols role. No, because he's he's too uh too present. He's too much of a like 
a, a of a big presence to yeah, be yeah. somebody who's trying to just kind of be a little under the radar because he's the bad guy. I I I have mixed feelings on Danny McBride. I feel like if Danny McBride was Nichols, it would be obvious from the jump that that was the bad guy. Also, it doesn't have there doesn't have to be a Nichols type of character. You know, we're not uh, remaking oh, the fugitive. Right, yeah, this is just yeah. a movie that would yeah. But I I feel like Danny McBride. Um, speaking of the Mitchells versus the Machines before, who he voices the role of the dad in it and is really delightful and heartwarming and can pull off something, you know, where he's not just the asshole. Swearing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. I have come to really appreciate him, especially with the Righteous Gemstones um, and then kind of revisiting some of his past roles. It's... It's just a delight to to watch him do what he does. You know, sorry, not, not uh, backtrack a little bit here, but uh, going back to like another thing that I might do with it, and this is really weird, but and there's like no actual way to do it to do this. But I would love to take the fugitive. And by the way, I re- totally re- I respect the hell out of this movie uh, for many reasons, but also because it comes in at like a smooth, like just over two hours. Yeah. Um, and which is right. But I would potentially add some other. So here's one. So one one idea is I would add some flashbacks to show like, OK, in college, he was like a champion diver. Uh-huh. I would I just I kind of want to like establish a couple of things. Mm, I don't want that. I don't want like that. scouting. I got well, if this also if it was if it was a series, I would uh, I would want that. Also, um, the other. Like the other, I guess, uh, direction I would take in this shit. I, I lost my uh, I, I lost my marbles. My my thought here uh yeah my mark well no i lost those a while ago but yeah i um oh the other possibility and this is interesting because i had thought about this and then when i was reading up on the series uh i they they this was a rumor but that you would that you would do a remake of it and you would even do it like similarly but at the end kind of like a usual suspects reveal that it was him um because you because i'm thinking about like all those flashbacks and i was i was watching it and i was like trying to look for different angles i'm like all those flashbacks like it's all being told from his perspective so what if he did kill his wife what if he was going to get away with it what if and and there were there were rumors that one of the possibilities for the end of the series was that it would be like Richard Kimball, you know, would, you know, f- f- fast forward to flash forward to, you know, six months after he like catches the one armed man. And then he's like on a beach and then you see him like, you know, come back into it like a hotel room or something and remove a prosthetic arm. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think setting I, I don't think the idea of having him have a prosthetic arm works, because especially if he's like a big name surgeon, uh, yeah. not that not that you could not be a successful surgeon with a prosthetic limb, but. Uh, right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's don't know. one other thing that I want to mention, and then we can get to our next episodes movie. Uh, yes. uh, 
there what okay so this is when i was living in philadelphia so it was like the early aughts and i was at a house party and this was the era when everybody in their 20s was playing kickball like there were like kickball leagues and uh, i was at this was house those party years. what's that it was that year it was that year and i was at a house party and there were a couple of there were like a bunch of people that were on different teams that played in like a little like unofficial kickball league and they all had these amazing punny names and this one team's name was dr richard kickball and i <laughs> will never forget that and it's so good i uh, dr richard kickball so anyway that's that's all i wanted to i just needed to make sure to mention that before we finished this episode no that's that's a wonderful uh <laughs> last last thing to uh uh, to state there. Uh, other than that, just like yeah, if for some reason you're listening to this and you've never seen The Fugitive, uh, hopefully this has convinced you to check yeah, it out. Uh, okay. And so I should also explain I said that for me, it's a near perfect movie. The only thing t- for me that I wish that it would have done better was uh, including more. And there are female roles, aside from Helen, the wife who dies. You know, there is a a woman who is a U.S. Marshal. There is women who are doctors. But I wish that there was just a a bigger presence of women. And also, it is just a very white cast. Um, Yes, it's also 1993. I don't care. Yeah. That's no excuse. Well, okay. Now, what, and we don't need to get into this right now, but I do think sometimes it is important when assessing like the diversity of right. of a cast. But to in, in this case, in this case, the uh, one of the women, which is one of the mm-hmm. U.S. Marshals, is also black, and it it's yes. just very much seems to me like they were trying to like be like, well. This cast is pretty white and it's very male. Let's get a black woman in there. And that's what it feels like to me looking at it now. I'm not well, saying I'm look, yeah. I totally under I hear what you're saying, but it could have also done better. That said, I'm sure if it was movie. made today, it would be. I mean, I'm sure if it was made oh, yeah. 20 years ago, uh, it would yeah, be. Yeah, I know, 100%, but yeah. Just just saying that. Just kind of getting my thoughts out there. Anyway, Dan, what are we going to be doing on our next episode of Ruined Childhoods? Our next our our next uh in our series of vaguely March related movies will be 2011's political drama uh directed by George Clooney called The Ides of March. And yeah. Yeah, that should be available to listen to, I think, by the uh, the aforementioned Ides, Ides of March, March 15th. Yeah, so uh, check it out. You know, you've probably seen the poster where it's Ryan Gosling holding up the half of the magazine with George Clooney's face on it over his face. I feel like I remember seeing the, the bus ads in L.A. when I was living there with that on it all yep. the time. And it's Clooney, it's Gosling, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm excited to rewatch it. I remember seeing it when it first came out, but uh, I don't remember having any thoughts on it whatsoever. So oh, Paul Giamatti, right? That's Paul that's Giamatti's in it. Yeah. yeah. Was, yeah, was, was the... Philip Seymour Hoffman also in it? I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. 
and Evan Rachel Wood, Marissa Tomei, right. Jeffrey Wright, Max Minghella. Uh So a a uh, a cast of of name players. And uh, yeah, it was a movie that yeah we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I think it's a movie that arrived with a good deal of of hype, and uh, I don't know that it, that most people felt it lived up to that hype. Hmm. Well, Dan, as you are being chased through some sort of sewer system aqueduct, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs>